pedal through town, you'll get to one of our all weather networks, which is Sharps Ridge. It's about six miles of trail over there that's um, on what was a, a fairly problematic park for Knoxville and not, not really used by anybody who was there for any good purpose, we'll say, uh, or, or productive purpose. We looked at a trail plan, talked to our parks director at that point, and he said, you know, is there anything you guys can do to engage users into this park? And we said, absolutely. And, and first thing we did was build a, a trail down low on that ridge line that connected to the neighborhood in about two spots. And lo and behold, the neighbors started coming out to help us dig trail. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 44, we bring you part three of the Knoxville series. Matthew Kellogg is our guest for this show. Matthew has held a lot of titles within the Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, and his current role is as the Executive Director of the AMBC. Matthew provides a great history of how the AMBC came to be, along with detailed stories about how the Knoxville region has progressively grown into an excellent trail community. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenach of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. There's no red light that says on air. Yeah, I have no, I have no red light that says on air. I have a red thing that shows that numbers are going up and that it's recording, but we don't have a full real radio studio. We're actually in your apartment. That's right. Which is off of your garage on your property. That's correct. That houses trails here in South Knoxville. Yeah, we're super fortunate. We're on uh, the trail network we bought here. The land seven or eight years ago, uh, with the intent of having trail on our property, we, you know, we had experienced uh, trail on other landowners' property and said, you know, we want to be a part of that. So uh, we had trail on our property before we built the house, and that's a it's a good it's a good step in the right direction, I'd say. Let's do an intro. Okay, here we are today. A trail effect. I have Matthew Kellogg. Matthew Kellogg is the executive director of the AMBC, otherwise known as the Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Matthew is a past president. He's a trail builder. He's a limo driver. Anybody that's seen uh, some of Knoxville's footage, especially when they were marketing for getting the Devil's Racetrack built, you'll notice that there is a limo seen in some of that stuff where they use that to commute to different trail systems, which is an integral part of how Knoxville has come to be. So how's it going this morning, Matthew? It's going great this morning, Josh. Thanks for having me on and thanks for coming down to Knoxville. Well, thanks for hosting me because this, this trip is happening because of you. So I don't know of another community I've been to that's been as welcoming and it's just, it's just amazing. Well, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, first off, again, thank you for coming down. We've been listening to your show. I mean, different leaders from the club. We've listened to probably every single episode of your podcast and, and I, I think any time that Knoxville would come up, we'd always send you a message. One of us probably. And then that was sort of independent. And that just shows the love that our leadership has for, um, for learning new things and for, for sharing information because it's, it's critical for, for our network to grow. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the Matthew Kellogg backstory and how you actually found your way to Knoxville because you're not originally from here. No, I, I'm uh, a transplant from Chattanooga. And so I was born in Seaford, Delaware, a real short stint there, uh, moved to Chattanooga and grew up there, which is a town that changed dramatically uh, during uh, the time that I was growing up. And, and I, I got to watch it 
out the doors of uh, Rock Creek Outfitters, uh, which uh, I worked for their kayak shop selling boats. And uh, we were we were located in a basement storefront that looked out on the National Guard Armory, which is now Coolidge Park and an incredible waterfront park that uh, that really put, I'd say, Chattanooga on the map at, at that point. So great outdoor rec town. Grew up paddling. Grew up um, in later, I guess, maybe, uh, I guess, 12, 13, started in Boy Scouts. And, and that's when I actually got my taste for riding a, a mountain bike, per se. I'd always ridden a bicycle. That was, that was how you got around. You know, I rode my bike to middle school and high school almost every day and, and didn't always ride home. There were a lot of calls to mom at that point. <laughs> when you live on the top of a hill, <laughs> you, often, you often ask for a bailout. But um, yeah, I'd say that um, scouts probably introduced me to, to the basics of mountain biking. And, and then it was history since then. You know, I'm, I'm, I went away for college and ended up transferring into U- University of Tennessee at Knoxville, following my, uh, my girlfriend at the time back to, back to East Tennessee. And so, yeah, I graduated from the University of Tennessee with a degree in architecture and, and have a, a passion for building things, designing things, and seeing them come to fruition, which after spending a, a few years in architecture and then in construction management, a number of years there, really just uh, just bedded down with the trail community here in town because I wanted to know how these things were built because I knew that they didn't just, you know, there, there is no trail gnome here in Knoxville and uh, or anywhere from, the, from what I know. And so um, after moving to town, it was just, it was important for me to know where the trails came from. And, and that's how I got introduced to the club. Let's talk about the club and how you went from just being a rider here, person living here to becoming involved and what that, what that journey took. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, I, I was really interested to know how the trails got built and I was bumble, bumbling around through William Hasty, which was one of our first um, networks that got built by AMBC proper. And um, kept hearing about this this myth, this guy called Brian Han, and and um, ended up running into him in the coffee shop that I that I went to every morning in, in downtown Knoxville. And through that relationship at Old City Java, basically said, "Hey, you know, I want to I want to become more involved. What do you have going on?" It was actually the um, one of the first fall fests that I plugged in with, and I showed up. You know, I took the day off on a Friday and said, "This is important. I want to." help set up this festival. And, and, um, that was 12 years ago now at this point and, and came in, I, th- I think I maybe, maybe was a little overbearing, um, possibly as far as like taking charge of certain things. And, and, uh, Brian said, man, we need you on this team basically. <laughs> and so the rest is history. I've, I've been on the, the board since then and past president, as you mentioned, and, and it's just, uh, just a community. Uh, that that I really love engaging with, and and honestly, is is a lot of my life. So let's talk about the AMBC. How did it get to where it is today? Because it's a pretty well functioning organization. Yeah, I, I think that um, we probably make it look good on the outside, which is really important. The club has been around in two different iterations. The first go round for the club was actually uh, a short stint, about two years. A lot of infighting over racing, that sort of stuff. Club dissolved. Club reformed uh, under um, under the umbrella of Sorba, which is a Southern Off-Road Bicycling Association. So Sorba has been around actually longer than Imba, I believe, and was organizing mountain bike clubs throughout the Southeast. And the the president who restarted the club, Randy Connor, said it's imperative that we join Sorba. We want to be part of something bigger, and we need their knowledge base, and we need to be meeting with them, and they do annual meetings and, and get together in a couple of weeks. I'll be with, with all the Southeast clubs in uh, Woodstock, Georgia, bouncing ideas off each other and, and making sure we're all in good shape. So Randy got the club restarted um, and you know, put in some, some basic uh, outline for the club that we're going to be certainly positive all the time. We want to uh, avoid hosting races ourselves. We have tons of great race promoters in the area, so let them do their job, stay out of that. That keeps the club in a position where we can focus on trail development, trail maintenance, 
and education of our user groups, right? And that that's not just mountain bikers. Obviously, their their trails are common ground. Um, and so, you know, the club basically flourished at that point. Um, Randy Connor turned the reins over to Brian Han. Brian Han had a fantastic vision for South Knoxville in particular, connecting up parks and other, not necessarily even, I guess, state lands, city lands, county lands, private lands. This vision that, that he came to based off of a, a trip to, to Kingdom Trails, actually. And so after visiting Kingdom Trails and seeing how they were utilizing private land, you know, he happened to live out in that area and said, you know what? I've been digging trail on my property. Why don't I allow, allow access by connecting it to other parks? You know, folks were riding on his property already, but this, you know, he, he had the vision to formalize it. And so the club rep put all of our efforts at that time into Knoxville's Urban Wilderness. And that was a collaborative project between a number of organizations, obviously with land managers that are that varying. You've got a lot of partners at the table, but AMBC served as the the boots on the ground for that initiative, right? There was not much money involved at all. <laughs> it was sweat equity. And after, uh, I'd say four or five years, really putting those, those networks together, we ended up with what, what we term the South Loop, which is a 12 mile route through all these different parks that allow, and, and these parks are all, I would say neighborhood parks, right? So they're in people's backyards. You know, that project in particular, I'm sort of going off on a tangent, but that project in particular utilizes the land really well because South Knoxville's topography is, is it's not necessarily rugged, but it's not the best for development. Uh, the geology in the area is karst, and so there's a lot of rock, and there's not necessarily, once you get past the city limits, there's no sewer, so there's just less development in general. And so um, it, it really lent itself well to utilizing the land in different ways. Um, and we've managed to, to not only build a, a phenomenal, what I would, you know, phenomenal trail network for Knoxvillians, but also for folks that want to come from out of town and visit. And we've created uh, just this patchwork of trail networks that connect people to trails and trails to businesses. Because ultimately from my house, and we're sitting six miles from downtown Knoxville in the county, uh, we can be at Baker Creek Bike Park and six miles on a, on a single track trail. There's uh, certainly places to eat, and, and uh, then you're two miles from downtown from Baker Creek. So, I mean, the club, you know, focused on that project for a bit, but we've got other trail networks, and and over time, we've we've continued to grow. Uh, Brian Hand passed off the reins to to me. I led the club for around three or three or so years. That time period, we were um, working with a partner, Legacy Parks Foundation on Baker Creek Preserve, which was at that point unnamed, no trails on it. It was basically just a hundred acre property. We called the hundred acre wood property because the wood family donated it to Legacy Parks. You know, Randy's vision of connecting with Sorba and Imba made perfect sense at that point. We were taking advantages of all the Imba grant programs. So we had a, you know, we, we applied and, and got um, grant funding for uh, trail solutions to come and, and give us a, a master plan for Baker Creek. Um, from there, we pass that off to our partners and, and Carol over at Legacy Parks Foundation applied for an RTP grant through the state, built, you know, three trails over there, three or four trails. The club built additional trails over there. And then we, uh, we had a holdout for the Black Diamond Trail over there. And uh, that's when Bell Helmets uh, was running their Bell Built programs. And and uh, we said, hey, you know, we've got a roadmap already for, a, for, this, for this Black Diamond Trail. Let's apply for this grant. It's a long shot, but let's do it. You know, another EMBA grant-based program sponsored by Bell. And, you know, the urban wilderness was known at that point within Knoxville. And, and the administration supported it. Both city and county administration supported it. But the Bell Built campaign that was run here in Knoxville is just something that was incredibly special. Unforgettable. If you were in Knoxville and didn't know that that campaign was going on, you were living under a rock, a hundred percent. It was on the on the nightly news. I'd say almost every night during the voting period. It's always funny. We the our city mayor 
uh, always jokes that, you know, we, we got more votes than her <laughs> during the Bell Bill campaign. And, uh, and I think it's just proof that Knoxville not only wants to win, but Knoxville supports uh, the concepts of outdoor recreation, even, the, even if it's not necessarily your cup of tea, right? I mean, the Devil's Racetrack, which is the trail that got built, it's, it's an impressive trail. It's an iconic trail. It's got great views of the city. And it's not for everybody, but it is necessary for Knoxville to have trails like that. And uh, I think that we pitched it in the right manner and really got broad-based support for it. You know, we were able to, to beat out some other fantastic trail towns, Santa Cruz and, and Duluth. And it was just an impressive campaign to, to really unify Knoxvillians around outdoor recreation. And, um, and it, it changed, I'd say, Knoxville forever. Um, you know, since then, we've had Bell-supported um, Bell Joyride, which um, at the time we had very, I mean, we had some dedicated female riders, but the women of Knoxville now, uh, I, they don't outnumber the, the males on the trail, but they are a major force to be reckoned with and an impressive sight when, when it comes down to their organization and um the programs that are offered and um that would that would have lagged if not if bell hadn't synergized us basically to become one and um so that was sort of the the highlight of my presidency then we rolled in uh wes Seward took over and wes sort of got us on a, a better footing with all of our park systems as far as trying to stay on top of our maintenance and he also sort of laid out the vision to, to stockpile the money and to be prepared to hire a director. And so back up two years ago, I was uh, changing job positions and had basically an opportunity where I didn't necessarily need to make as much money. And I said, hey, I know you guys are putting this out, to, out as a job opportunity. I want you guys to, to put this out nationally. But just know that I'm going to step off the board and I'm going to apply for this position. So the rest is, is history. I, I took over as the executive director in 2020, January of 2020. We um, elected our first board, uh, our first female board president. Uh, Aaron Donovan took over the reins as, as board president. And I serve for the executive directors and, and for all of our membership here on the ground. and and. And of course, then a, a pandemic hit and we, we started trying to figure out what was best for, for Knoxville and, and how to, to manage this new growth. You know, I think that we've just been able to do it through our trail champions and through the organization and leadership that we have here on the ground. And so in a nutshell, you know, I'd say we're a, we're a really, we're a high functioning Sorba club. We're super thrilled to be part of Sorba. Yeah, I think our membership base is around 500, you know, somewhere in there. We've never really pushed membership as, as a requirement. We want people just to, to be around. And I think that it's, it's also something that might be unique to Knoxville. It might not be, but our network is, for the most part, multi-use across the board. We've got uh, around 90 miles of trail here in town, like I say, across broad management agencies. And 96% of those trails are multi-use, right? And I would say the predominant use on those trails after um, we started a trail study last year is not mountain bikes, but we, man we manage and maintain it all. And we're really proud of that. And we're going to continue to do that. And, um, you know, the, the remaining, remaining percentage of the trails, you know, they are mountain bike specific trails and they're fantastic. And we've brought builders in and we've, We've got builders from that are local that, that build fantastic trails. And there are certainly things that, that you want to pedal back to the top of to, to get that descent one more time. And, but I think what's just most important about our situation is that we look at things holistically and that we're out there on the trails. We're with our neighbors and uh, they may be running, they may be walking their dog, but it's important to me that AMBC continues to, to take care of the trails for everybody. I want to back up before we go forward again. You hit on something early on there with trail solutions and a plan. That's one part of this that I think of trails in general and communities that sometimes get, gets overlooked. 
What did that plan provide as far as a springboard for your community to get things really moving forward? Yeah. So at that time, during our, our club's growth, that plan was absolutely critical. We had a few projects under our belt, but this plan was um, suggesting some directional downhills. It was suggesting some things that, you know, the city's law department was not necessarily super comfortable with. But, you know, at that point, we called on Tom Surratt, Sorba executive director at that point, and said, Tom, can you come up? Let's have some meetings with some people, you know, and, and as well, when um, Trail Solutions was in town, let's have some meetings with leadership, you know, just get, get everybody more comfortable with what's going on. You know, the, the plan gives you a roadmap allows you to think about thing in phases, you know, because not everybody can do a project in one go, you know, I mean, we don't have unlimited funds. We're, we're trying to leverage grant funds. We're trying to leverage sweat equity. We're trying to basically just progressively build as we can. So that's the other important thing that I think is that, you know, we didn't start with black diamond trails, directional trails. We started with green trails, right? We had a huge base of trails to work from. There's no sense in, in just providing for either end of the spectrum, but you've got to have a good solid base and go from there. So yeah, I mean, the plan gave us that roadmap. And I would say the, the talks that we had around that and the, the literature, I mean, Emba was just putting out their bike park book at that point and uh, the Trail Solutions bike park uh, publication. And so that was super handy. We'd leave a copy of that at each parks director's office. You know, the mayor has a copy of that and just get them familiar with terms and with the idea that these things are progressive. They are also going to take a little bit more as far as management and as far as maintenance. They're pretty lucky because we sign up for the maintenance on most of this stuff. I mean, they help out to, to, um, to a certain degree and, and we're really appreciative of our contractual relationships that we have with both the city and the county here in Knoxville. But, you know, that was just a a great way to educate leadership outside of the club on what is possible, right? We also, during that same time period, after we had the plan, then you got to start implementing parts of it, right? And, And Carol over at Legacy Parks was on board. Yes, let's apply RTP funds for these two directional downhills and a walking loop or a multi-use loop and a beginner loop. Fantastic. Got those on the ground. Always on the plan, there was a little bubble and it didn't have a whole lot of detail to it, but it just was sort of showed some piles of dirt. And that was going to be our bike park. Literally like, you know, dirt jumps and, and, and pump track. And yeah, we, we built a small pump track on the property at one point. Dirt, volunteer labor, you know, great. All well and good. Uh, we realized how much maintenance that is. At that around that same time period, we were in um, Bentonville for a Imba um, uh, World Summit. You know, we're visiting some of their facilities and and talking with their folks and and hearing about maintenance woes and these sort of things. And and we just tried to be a sponge and absorb a lot of that information. And uh, so I guess it was two years ago. Now we we started. Um, we had major investment due to the fact that we had a, a bubble on that diagram that said, this is a bike park. We knew a cost estimate of what a, a hard surface bike park was going to run. And um, the administration doubled down and they said, yeah, we're going to invest in this. And so um, they invested in our, our trailhead for the urban wilderness, which is essentially at the end of the James White Parkway. You can get to it from I-40 and, and basically dead end into this... Um, 40 mile trail system that has this phenomenal hard surface bike park at it. And the, the plan was all in place for that. The lessons learned, we had, we had transferred that knowledge over to the city at that point, because it was literally, it was their project, right? $6 million. The club's not coming up with that at this point. We're a powerhouse for fundraising. We're, we're not that good yet. But I guess by getting it on the, uh, the budget in the first place, that shows that that the club's influence within the community is, is powerful and that outdoor recreation matters to Knoxville and that they want to invest in it. And so a portion of those, that 6 million went towards the bike park and the rest is going towards infrastructure and new greenways and uh, trail features alongside the greenways and, and restroom facilities and parking facilities. 
And so, I mean, the plan is, is critical. We just actually, you know, we're using the same roadmap. We bought 26 acres this last year um, that, that adjoins one of the parks here in Knoxville and in the urban wilderness. And after we closed on the property, we, we donated it to the city of Knoxville and said, all right, we're going to start on our trail planning now. So we hired a trail designer, not trail solutions in this case. We, we hired a uh, C2. Chris Kmeyer, and he uh, basically did an assessment on the property and, and has provided us with another roadmap, right? We have a roadmap, we have a cost estimate, we have a flag line. That's everything that I, as a director, need to go to the next step, right? Our, our trails committee can pick off, oh, we're going to do trail one, two, and three this year, or heck, we think we can get them, do them all, you know? And um, so you'll see that some of the fundraising that comes from Fall Festival this year We'll go towards the new 26 acres, the trail infrastructure, that is. And we'll be working on fundraising. We've already got some corporate sponsors for that. Um, you know, we've had phenomenal support from Harper's Automotive Group here in town, which is just, they've, they've gone out on a limb for us more times than I can, I can think of. And uh, they just, they support the community really well. And, um, and they're, they're one of our prime sponsors on, on the trail connections that are going to, going to be made in hasty. Let's uh, move forward and talk about what your trail systems are, like kind of describe the layout of how urban wilderness is here in Knoxville and how that kind of connects everything. Yeah. Cause you have a handful of different systems. We do, we do. And so um, we'll talk about the urban wilderness first. And, and like I, I mentioned before, it is uh, about a 40 mile system uh, plus or minus. It's always growing in some form or fashion because, and that, you know, that's an example at Hasty or on private lands. But we've got uh, partnerships with Imes Nature Center for uh, trail building and maintenance on their property. Uh, the state of Tennessee, we work with um, over at Forks of the River Wildlife Management Area. Then from there, if you're going clockwise around the South Loop, you're going to enter into private land. And we've got about 25 private landowners uh, within Knoxville in general, but um, that have a, a, a one page, I call it an MOU, a trail use agreement, right? That, that we utilize to say, hey, AMBC will uh, potentially build and or uh, we will maintain trail. Uh, we'll add you to our insurance. Uh, we provide them some additional information on Tennessee land use statutes, right? That, that give some protections to landowners already. And in exchange, we'd love to be able to utilize your property. Uh, within the trail corridor, we'd love to do the maintenance on it, and we'd love to map it, right, to get it out into the into the world. And so, out of Forks of the River, you you meet up with a number of different private landowners. You know, you're you're sweeping through the woods there. You pop out on Knox County property. That's actually a school property, and and we used to have to hop the fence at Anderson School. You you throw your bike over a, a fence, climb up on this gravel pile, and and throw your your body over the fence. And get in through the back of the schoolyard. Now, luckily, we don't have to hop the fence any longer. Uh, we have a water fountain there and, a, and an agreement that, that that can be used as a trailhead. And uh, then you hop into a little bit of county land and then back into city parks, um, Hasty Park and up and out. You, you climb up and um, you cross through all this time. You're passing houses and, and you know, every year you notice more and more bike racks on the back of the cars and the driveways. And uh, it's just, you know, it's one of those uh, anecdotal uh <laughs> surveys that I do always always sort of paying attention to to who's moving where and then um you know you you cross through the bamboo at, at um view park and and you're on city land and and into Baker Creek Preserve and and from there you know you're 2 miles to town we've got a couple other um trail networks that are, are smaller but still great connections for neighborhoods you know Stanley Lippincott and Fort Dickerson which is a fairly iconic quarry that was sort of remnant land and, and one of our first machine build projects, actually. And pedal through town, you'll get to one of our all-weather networks, which is Sharps Ridge. It's about six miles of trail over there that's um, on what was a, a fairly problematic park for Knoxville and not, not really used by anybody who was there for any good purpose, we'll say, uh, or, or productive purpose. We looked at a trail plan, talked to our parks director at that point, And he said, you know, is there anything you guys can do to engage users into this park? And we said, absolutely. And, and 
first thing we did was build a, a trail down low on that ridge line that connected to the neighborhood in about two spots. And lo and behold, the neighbors started coming out to help us dig trail. And, um, you know, we, we've since added uh, some more connections just here in the last year. Legacy Parks Foundation built uh, some of the first adaptive trails in the area on the backside of Sharps Ridge. And then the other networks that we, we manage in town are, are in the county. And uh, those are Icy King and, and Concord Park. We have a, also have a partnership with uh, Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA, on one of their properties up off of uh, Norris, uh, Lake Norris. And that's called Loyston, Loyston Point. And it's a phenomenal, super flowy, all-weather network that, you know, it's, sort of, it's, it's a great half-a-day trip for us from Knoxville. You can t- make it into a weekend fairly easily. You know, you're on the lake. You've got a campground there. And my favorite, you have novelty ice cream after you finish riding. So uh, it definitely fills all my buckets. And it's, you know, 30, 45 minutes from town. So, yeah, those are in general, those are our networks. Uh, we have other trail around us. You know, we, we have uh, we're lucky to have Clinch Valley Trail Alliance, uh, sort of our neighbors. And, and we help incubate that club originally, finding some leadership and saying, hey, you guys have big enough projects in Oak Ridge and Anderson County that you should really form a group, get organized, join Sorba, and tackle these different projects. And, and they have taken that on and done a really awesome job with that. And, and uh, Lisa is, is now heading up presidency over there. And they're working not only at Haw Ridge, uh, but also at uh, a new, newer uh, developer-driven project called Aspire in Clinton, Tennessee, which is going to be a, a new a recreation hub for Clinton. And it's going to have, you know, mountain biking, uh, multi-use trails, uh, and water access, all sort of based around um, a, a new commercial development. It's going to be a phenomenal project that comes on board soon. So that's a lot for the region. Yeah. And, and you know, so we didn't sort of touch on sort of our national forests that we have access to. You know, 45 minutes from town, we've got access to the Cherokee National Forest. So Hartford is going to be a, a major project that comes online in the next uh, few years. Senator Lamar Alexander, on his way out of office, designated some funds for mountain bike trails within the Cherokee National Forest um, as an economic generator for Cock County, and uh, which is a historically depressed, uh, economically depressed county. We've got uh, easy access to Big South Fork, which is... Uh, Part of uh, National Scenic River, part of the National Park System, a super, I can't say enough about Joe Cross, super volunteer, super champion of trails. Joe Cross has been an advocate in that area in Oneida and, and, and Big South Fork for years. And uh, it's got an Emba Epic that's all along the, uh, the bluffs along the, the river there. And there, there's countless miles of trail a backcountry lodge, the Cherokee Creek Lodge that you can, you can bike into uh, and stay overnight and have full service meals, you know, hundreds of miles of gravel roads if you're, you're a gravel grinder. So yeah, Big South Fork is, is also sort of within our, within our easy uh, driving distance, you know. And, and, and then as we go further like south, then you pick up with clubs like um, Sorba Chattanooga and they've got fantastic projects down there. Walden's Ridge is is really growing. And to our north, uh, Tri-City Sorba. So yeah, when we're surrounded by Sorba clubs, we love the synergy. We love the work that all these clubs are doing. Moving back into Knoxville proper, what has been kind of your secret sauce for getting the different diversity in terms of the trail flavors and how, you know, not having the same trail recreated everywhere? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you can get in the rut of either all hand-built you know, or all machine cut. We try to have a, a variety of those sort of things. But uh, what we found over the years is that, you know, we got a, a good stable base. And then we learned that, and we learned from others, honestly, what we needed to be building here. You know, you can be happy with what you have, or you can sort of try to keep pushing the boundaries in different areas. And as the club leadership traveled around, you know, we'd load up in the limo and we went up to Vermont and we'd load up in the limo and we head south to, um, Alabama or Florida or, or Bentonville or wherever, just getting ideas. And, you know, through family vacations to Bellingham or one of our, <laughs> a location I, I can't say enough about is we, we have, uh, we've been to Czech Republic a couple of times 
and their ride centers are phenomenal and um, guide service over in the Czech, Czech mountain bike holidays, Jan and, and Radim and their crew showed us some of their country's best trail networks. And we've, we have certainly brought back portions of all of these different trips back to Knoxville and said, how do we recreate or make it uniquely Knoxville? How do we do that with our shoestring budget? And the, the special sauce, if you will, for that has always been, well, we turn on our Southern charm, right? We house the people if we can. So you're here, you're living you know, for the week in, in my garage apartment. But for the longest time, builders were, were standing in our house every season, every build season, we'd have a builder there and Brian would be hosting somebody. And, and so first off, we would try to basically get them to lower their price with kindness. <laughs> we'd host them. The club has some machines, so we provide the equipment, right? And then we provide some additional sweat equity. And so it's sort of a hybrid contract that we've always sort of been working with here in Knoxville that got the job done for, a, I mean, the, the cost doesn't change except it's spread out through different areas, right? You know, I take the burden of housing and Brian takes a burden of housing and, and um, you know, somebody else runs a machine. You know, we've got a, a super volunteer, Kevin Zirkel, who retired and um, bought an excavator for the club. And said, hey, I want to run this thing. So we sent him to PTBA school to get familiar with it. Then brought some builders into Knoxville to help basically so he could have on the job training. And uh, Kevin will be starting in a couple of weeks on a new trail out at Concord. Um, utilizing, uh, it's not the original machine because it's, it's long gone. But, you know, he'll be, he'll be running an excavator out at Concord. So that's just one of the ways that we uh, skin the cat a little bit differently. And, and you know, these builders that, that we've built relationships with over the years, they aren't all Knoxville builders. Some of them, uh, Randy Connor uh, went from, basically changed his, his entire career path, started a company, uh, Contour Trail, and, and he's, he's killing it right now. He's so busy. He's, he's you know, um, he can barely get out to ride with us, it seems like. We have a hard time booking him. <laughs> and that's great. It's a great problem to have, but he's building trail. One of our other club members, um, Shaggy, he's uh, now pro, pro builder. And, and, you know, by having these pro builders in town that also do projects around the country, they bring back that same, you know, they, they bring back their lessons learned to town. And we try to get them to implement it here. And, and so, I mean, I think that's part of, part of this, the secret is, is just diversity of builders. A project that is a, another private development that's going on that's going to be open to the public, V Hollow, just south of here in um, Townsend, that project, which was managed by Chris K. Meyer, I think Chris had like 40 something individual builders down there. I mean, a number of companies, but 40 different builders out on the mountain, over 15 miles of trail were built in a season, unique trails for sure. You can tell that one builder didn't go out there and build everything. You know, it's always kind of fun to try to ride trails around the country that you may have some inkling that somebody worked in the area and then ride across a section and say, Oh, this is, this is this person's trail. I know it. You know, every builder has a unique style and it's an art form and, and it's, it's a creative motion and, and we're just lucky to be able to take advantage of it while smiling and pedaling down the trail. So. That's an amazing story. So we've talked about a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about a famous failure. Do you have any famous failures that, because we, we all know that being part of nonprofits, doing what we're doing, you know, we're basically learning through failure. You know, there's certain things that work and there's certain things that don't. And we take that lesson and we move on. And so what, do you have any famous failures I'd like to speak about? Well, I, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of ones. First, I'm going to reiterate that we, Randy Connor made the decision that we weren't going to be a race club and that that changed how our club functioned when we reorganized. And so we failed first, rebirth, you know, we, we, uh, we try to keep everything positive within the club. There's no sense in dragging this into bickering and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we're, we're out here for a fairly simple purpose, which is to provide great access to the outdoors through natural surface trails. And we happen to be mountain bikers. And so like our, our failure at being race promoters led to us being what I would say is, is pretty doggone good trail, trail advocates. And, um, 
you know, another thing, you know, as we started to learn how to, to run machines, I remember we, uh, Brian Han and I went over to uh, the PTBA conference when it was held over in Asheville a number of years ago. And, and um, you know, we were, we were hot to trot. Woody Keen was, was teaching that class. Val Naylor was uh, one of the instructors she, she built over here, try to get her here annually. We, uh, we went over there and, and thought we had learned everything from Val and Shrimper and, and Woody. And we get back to town and, and we're going, going at it at, at Fort Dickerson. And, and I just remember that that trail took forever to build. It was probably about as wide as a double track, <laughs> uh, certainly not single track. I'm not sure how many times we flipped the machines over there, but I, I know we flipped, uh, I think it was a demo unit of an SK, uh, certainly not ours. And, uh, you know, we learned a lot on that trail. That trail is called trial and error for a reason. You know, other sort of failures that really, that really brought back around. I mean, trail names are indicative of their locations. And, and William Hasty, the first major trail project that was a test for our organization, two trails over there, Yellow Jacket, because a lot of people got lit up on that trail building it, and Hard Labor, just because the terrain we were in was just so incredibly difficult. Rock seam after rock seam after rock seam, you know. The uh, gas-powered jackhammer, you know, not the not the most user-friendly volunteer tool, but it was certainly utilized. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's some of the you know the best trails we have in our network, and and certainly great single track. And so you know, their the failures uh, ultimately end up with with great successes in the end. And so just got to keep got to keep plugging away, I suppose. So you talked about two different things there, both uh, professional builders and volunteers. Mm-hmm. What in terms of like, it's super important to have volunteers because that's the soul of your organization. Like you don't have a really good organization and a good community without volunteers, but what has that done in terms of, you know, what do you, where do you go with supplementing that volunteer labor with, with professional labor? Like how is that important for clubs across the country or across the world? Yeah, it's really important for us. And it's something that we're going to continue to, and I'll say we'll continue to struggle with as we, as we grow, right? Because trails and how they how they're built and the machines that are used it's just changed right we're not just all rogue hose and you know out there out there digging in a line which is still a fantastic way to build certain types of trail but not all types of trail right i mean we've got directional trails that are you know that that really need to be sculpted by the pros and so we still try to utilize as much volunteer labor as we can sort of making the balance between where we can plug in volunteers, how our trail champions can feel really invested in their parks. Cause we try to have a, a trail champion for every single park. They run a crew from within their network of folks, but at the same time, you know, maintenance is different than building new trail. Everybody understands that walking into the woods and, and then being able to walk back out on actual tread is a special feeling. And, and people grasp that and they say, I'm an owner. And they fight for it at that point too, right? They, they're basically invested in that, that section of trail and they, they feel ownership. And so I think it's, it is important for us as leaders in clubs to understand that our volunteers are there long after and the trails there long after the pro builder is there on the ground. And we need to do everything possible to engage the, the builders with the volunteers and the volunteers with the soil, because when, when dirt gets moved and compacted and ridden in, that's when the connection is made. You know, we, we need to shy away from ribbon cuttings where volunteers haven't been on the ground, in my opinion. Like that, that's a tough thing to do in some of these more progressive trail features, but, but we just have to find ways to plug volunteers in in the right, right way. You know, we've got a project that we're starting right now and, and the club just went through Last week, I had 40 volunteers out to help clear corridor, right? And that may not seem like a super meaningful thing, but when, you're, when we showed up Saturday morning and you could barely see through the forest, and this particular property has a lot of invasives on it, and you know, we were able to, to grub some of that and make a clear sight line for the builder to come in. And that, that at least is some engagement with volunteers, right? We were able to commune for a couple hours. And, you know, I think that another, I'll, I'll go off on a tangent, special sauce again, 
our work days short and sweet to the point, right? Nine to noon, we provide lunch, barley pops, and some cold water. So that that's all the time that we take out of people, you know, for our, our, our work days. And so it's important to us to not wear somebody down over the course of six hours, right? You know, when you're talking about a three-hour workday, you probably get two hours of productive work. But when you get 40 people out there, you can get some stuff done, you, you know. And that's sort of a sideline to say that you just, you got to put your, your head back into the volunteer mode and also how best to utilize your volunteers. Because not all volunteers are going to want to come out and build trail. You know, out of the 500 volunteers, a very small segment of those are going to be our building crew or our trail champions, right? People have so many different skills, anywhere from, you know, organizing rides, uh, organizing silent auctions. It just, it, it takes all types to make these clubs function. And ultimately, that's what makes the community feel and connects you to the ground instead of makes different silos or makes you feel like you, you just happen to live in where, where there's trails. You know, I mean, I think ultimately you don't need membership. You just need community. A term you've thrown out a handful of times now is trail champions. You want, you want to define what that means in the community of Knoxville, because that's something that might not be familiar with other people in other communities. Yeah. And it's, a, it's something that we came up with in the last couple of years, honestly. We, we saw the fact that we couldn't, as, as the core leadership of the club, we, we didn't know it was happening on 80 miles of trail, right? I mean, life's changed for everybody. I've got a son now. I'm not out on the trail as much as I was in the past or would potentially want to be. So we rely on our members and our, our community to tell us what's happening on the trails everywhere, right? And then through our network, our trail champions get that information basically. And so those champions are our eyes and ears on the ground in a particular park, right? It may be their backyard or it may just be the park they like to ride at the most. And so if they've got a good grasp on the park, we plug in with them. We try to try our best to give them the tools and training that they need, right? Not everybody has the money to go buy a chainsaw and they don't necessarily need to be operating a chainsaw unless they're trained. And so we offer the training. We offer equipment if needed, all the PPE. We offer, you know, essentially the network and the the framework to be successful at keeping their park in great shape, right? Uh, I know last week uh, we had to buy a couple extra backpack blowers. People are trying to blow out some drains right now. Whatever we can do to facilitate good management of the parks is what we're doing. And, and so our trail champions are, are, they're doing what they're asked to be done, you know? And, um, and I think that it's often a, a thankless position, but we try to talk about them in every meeting and thank them for their work because it's, 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 it's what makes it possible, right? Um, if the club was trying to be run out of an office every day, we, we wouldn't, get what needed to get done, you know, and you can't do all the work in our monthly work days, right? If we're together for three hours, we're working on a particular project focused on X, Y, or Z. But that means that there's, you know, five other parks that didn't get any work that day. And so those trail champions are the ones that are organizing that work at other parks. So. Yeah. So one of the things you talked about early on was the fall festival and that's coming up here on November 6th, 2021. We like to keep these episodes kind of evergreen, but at the same time, some things are important to date, especially when, when it comes to fundraising and raffles and stuff like that. So tell us about your, your fall festival. Yeah. So the fall festival started as a, a basically an appreciation for our volunteers, a party that happened out of, at um, Brian's property. Uh, we realized fairly quickly that, uh, that, that party was costing us a lot of money and we didn't necessarily have the money to pay for a party. And so we sort of transitioned it into a fundraiser and we invited more people. And uh, I always call it backdoor fundraising. Our festival is, is free to come to. It's always the first full weekend in November. So that's evergreen content. You can put that on your calendar for years to come. And uh, so we're in our 12th year of the fall festival. You know, we invite anybody who wants to come join us for that Saturday. We'll have you know, traditional mountain bike type festival, which is going to be, you know, shops and demos and, and, um, but at the same time we have guided rides and we roll out all of our merchandise for the year. And, and so we essentially make it into a fundraiser through the side door, right? We, we, we make all the money on the beer, we make the money on the merch and we make the money on the silent auction and raffle. And so 
you know, it's a way to get as many people to the site as possible. And I think in 2019, we had around uh, 1,500 people on site. And I'd say we'll have more this year just because of the climate we're in and everybody wants to get outside and, and ride and, and commune, right? And, and it, it's, it's essentially turned into our homecoming for the area. And uh, it's, it's probably one of the largest festivals I'd say in the, in the Southeast, um, or, or close to it. And, you know, it's still got a very Knoxville feel. It's not terribly commercialized. And, and, um, you know, you, you know, that when you get on site, you're supporting an organization that is dedicated to the, to the network. And so, yeah, we invite everybody to come out to fall festival, you know, our silent auction, something we learned via COVID is that it works really well online. And so people are bidding from across the country for our silent auction. You know, we launch a website each year for Fall Festival, which is fallfest.ambcnox.org. And they can get links to the schedule and all the different guided rides. This year, uh, we're super excited to have Catalyst Sports, which is an adaptive uh, sports program. They're they're uh, hosting one of the stops on their uh, Southeast Mountain Bike Tour during Fall Festival. So Joyride will be leading rides. Uh, Knoxville Outdoor Tours is going to be leading uh, the guided rides for AMBC that day. Uh, we'll be doing shuttles all day on uh, Devil's Racetrack, and, and that's supported by um, Knoxville Brew Tours and by Windrock, actually. They're going to bring a shuttle truck over, Sean Leader and, and his crew. We do a whip-off each year. Um, this year, the drop-in, which is a, a new private development that's going to have camping and trails on their property within the urban, urban wilderness. The drop-in is going to have uh, support, be supporting the whip-off. And we're also uh, putting the final touches on an invitational pump track event, best line event. And uh, so it's just a great full day um, that culminates with the ending of the silent auction and with uh, somebody taking home a, a really sweet bike, which uh, this year we've teamed up with uh, Tennessee Valley Bikes, TVB, and Kona. And we're, you know, we're Giving away a bike that's you know, in the neighborhood of a ten thousand uh, dollar rig, sort of kitting it out in some special ways. All the specs on that bike are at, at ambcnox.org. You know, we've teamed up with uh, Industry Nine for some hubs and uh, sweet carbon wheels by uh, Knox Composites, which is a local company here in, in Knoxville that makes uh, carbon wheels. And our our friends, we've always done. Um, certain merchandise with club ride they they threw in a couple hundred bucks for whoever wins the bike to go get get a new kit and so yeah we're we're psyched about um everything that's going on with that that bike in particular and and uh you know all these funds go to next year's future development so we're going to be putting some of those funds towards our maintenance program we hire dave williams who keeps our bike park in good shape year-round we just did a resurface on all of our directional trails at Baker Creek. So they're going to be running really well for uh, Fall Fest here in, in a few weeks. And basically that, that just, you know, refills the, the, the kitty for next year. So before we close this thing out, there is something you brought up early on with traveling. What's the story with the limo? <laughs> so, so the limo was, uh, my boss at the time had purchased this limo uh, for tailgating. And it ends up it failed him almost every time he went to use it. And I took that on as sort of a challenge. Uh, not only is it sort of an iconic, I mean, it's a, it's a 96 Cadillac, Fleetwood Cadillac, detuned uh, Corvette engine in it, by the way. Uh, it's got some giddy up to it. And uh, at the time, it was sitting in his uh, pole barn and I, I, I got it out. I scrubbed off all the, the uh, red clay dust that had, that had built up on it. One of our super volunteers, Jay Basil and mechanic, fabricator extraordinaire got the thing running we think and and we did a shakedown tour right you got to make sure things are working so we we drove it to the canadian border we went up to to uh kingdom trails that's a shakedown made it about, that's, yeah, that's a shakedown yeah so i think we made it about uh 40 miles outside of town before we we were on the side of the interstate we decided we had blown a belt we uh we managed to find a limo tire which is a, a different type of tire didn't know that at the time. Just up the road in Johnson City, which was 20 miles up the road. So we limped up the road to there, got our tire installed, managed to make it all the way up to, uh, up to Vermont that year, uh, stopping in uh, Harrisonburg for some riding, pulled into uh, uh, Brooklyn and was able to parallel park right in front of our Airbnb, surprisingly enough, 
On the way home, the uh, air conditioner definitely died, uh, as well as the power windows in the back. So a little stuffy here and there. But, you know, the limo has has been sort of an icon of ours ever since that first shakedown trip. And uh, we've used it for some different promotions over the years, including Bell Built. Uh, we, we also raised around $60,000 a couple years ago to rebuild one of our parks that was notoriously soupy and nasty. Marie Myers Park was just, you, you couldn't ride in it anytime it was wet. And so um, we went in and, and um, hired some builders, Shaggy and Night Eyed, to come in and, and make this an all weather network. And uh, so it's got some great directional trails, a toll road to get you back up to the top, uh, and it can be used any day of the year. You know, the limo helped us promote that project. It's, it's eye candy, you know, and, and one day it's probably going to flex in the middle and fall apart. And, you, you know, we always debate whether it's best to be in the front of the limo or the back of the limo when it splits in half. You know, until that happens, we're going to have our bikes on the roof and our North Shore on the back and, and uh, AC still broken, but uh, the windows do still sort of work. I know the last time we took it over to uh, Pisgah, somehow the console with the TV fell into the floor. And so, you know, we just took that out. So there's some sharp edges on the inside now. But generally speaking, the limo is, um, it's a fantastic way to travel. And uh, you can pile seven or eight people in there. We've taken it up to Ray's before. And I remember we, <laughs> we had ice on the inside of the, uh, <laughs> the windows on our trip to Ray's. It was just so cold and so much moisture from everybody breathing like we had we had ice on the inside and, and uh but no it it's uh yet again something that makes you no knoxville unique and and uh, as long as that thing's running uh you'll see it out and about hashtag so no limo and uh follow us follow us there on instagram and so no limo yeah that, that's our hashtag for that one uh ambc knox is our 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 formal um handle that's awesome well, it's been a pleasure. What do you want to close this with? Do you have any words of advice, any stuff you'd like to throw out to other clubs, just people in general? You know, I mean, I, as a director of a nonprofit, um, I think it's important to, to look at the long vision and to figure out where you want to be and try to make the roadmap to get there and, and just keep your head up and know that there's always going to be some dissenting opinion, but ultimately you have a fantastic mission. You do. And you're providing access to the outdoors. And, um, and remember, it's not just for you. It's for everybody. And you just happen to be on a bike some days. You know, I, I walk out of my house at this point more often than I ride out of my house. And I, you know, that, but that's important to me. And I think it's important to others. And certainly what, what keeps me moving is uh, the joy that being outside um, causes people. Well... With that being said, I see some peaks of some blue skies outside. Time to ride. We might be able to get some riding in for our last day in Knoxville. And I really appreciate everything. I mean, this has been such a good trip. You know, everybody's so kind down here. And, and just to see truly what more trails close to home actually means. Mm -hmm. You know, when you pop out of, you talked about the bamboo. Yeah. Like I, when I popped out of the, I can't remember, I think it was, what is it, Lost Chromos when you pop out of and go over to where the bamboo or what? Yeah, you come out of Lost Chromosome at Anderson School and you take a short section of road. You go up somebody's driveway next to the deer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Through Hasty. And then you come up the hill. And like you say, you, you, uh, you cross a road, just a little neighborhood street, which is a neighborhood access point, not a trailhead. Yeah. There's a distinction between a trailhead and a neighborhood access point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, nobody necessarily wants, you know, <laughs> everybody's sprinter van and, and, uh, and cars packed up on their, on their street. And so, you know, we, we definitely make a distinction there. And, uh, but yeah, you pop into the bamboo and it's this, it's another just unique, iconic thing that, that happens to be in our network. So. Yeah. That, like I was looking for that trail, I'm like there's a ton of bamboo right here. What, what, how is that an invasive species? Like what is the story with that growing here? Uh, I do believe it's invasive. Uh, I, I, other than that, I know that that trail in any other uh, circumstances would be considered way too steep, but the, the amount of roots that are underneath it actually keep everything together <laughs> and, and keep traction. So um, for now, that, that was sort of a, a happy um, compromise right there. That was an, an access point um, into a park that was sort of historic and, and it was a long story, but shared, shared use access. We ended up compromising and saying, hey, can we go through this bamboo instead of using this guy's driveway? 
and it worked perfectly and, and, um, you know, sort of shielded both neighbors from what was going on. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I can't wait for your next visit. Yeah. It'll be, it won't be too far away. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature the mayor of Knoxville, India Kincannon. Mayor Kincannon discusses all the benefits that trails have brought to her community of Knoxville. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.